how's everybody doing? Let me see your faces. Oh, it's my family. I see a lot of family. I love y'all. I am so excited to be wrapping up this three-part series, The Upside Down Kingdom. If you have endured all three weeks, you're the real MVP. I'm so appreciative of you guys. Thank y'all for being here. We are closing this series in the Upside Down Kingdom. We are looking at God's kingdom and how His kingdom is so different than the kingdoms of this world, so different than anything that we would encounter in this life, that His kingdom may as well be upside down in comparison to what we encounter in the world. And no better place than in the Sermon on the Mount, specifically in the Beatitudes, do we see how different our Father thinks about how we are to live and how we are to interact with one another. So over the past three weeks, we have been digging into the Beatitudes. And when we started, I shared with you all the hangups I had about the Beatitudes, that I read them like a long to-do list. I read them like a a list of things that I needed to measure up to and that I failed in miserably. And so I didn't like that list. I was like, Lord, you keep that list or save that for the the hotshot Christians and I'll go do this stuff over here. But as I began to study the Beatitudes throughout this year, the Lord just opened them up in such a fresh way that was stirred my heart. Because what I began to see working in the Beatitudes was an invitation into experiencing God's kingdom in such a way that as I simply walk in relationship with Jesus, as I show up to relationship with Jesus and reading my word and spending time with him in prayer and being with the family of God, as I walk out relationship, Holy Spirit is doing a work on the inside of me, continually transforming me into the likeness of Jesus. Holy Spirit, as you are sitting here listening to the words coming out of my mouth, as we engage in worship tonight, as we give of our tithes and offerings, as we engage in relationship with the Lord, Holy Spirit's at work in you right now, transforming you into the likeness of Christ Jesus. Transformation's happening right now all over this room. Think about that. The Holy Spirit's active, alive on the inside of us, doing a work in us right now. That is exciting to me. We may all be in different places, but we're all headed the same direction, and that is the likeness of Christ. And that's what we are engaging in when we look at the Beatitudes. It's like we're getting an inside scoop as to what Holy Spirit is accomplishing in us, what this transformation looks like. And if we can look at what Holy Spirit is doing, then we can come into cooperation with Him. We can partner with Him and actually make that process run a little smoother. Anybody want that process of transformation to run a little smoother? I know I I need all the help I can get, sweet Jesus. And so when we read the Beatitudes, that's what Jesus is giving us. He's like, let me show you what the kingdom looks like. Let me show you what Holy Spirit is doing on the inside of you. These are not things you can accomplish in and of yourself, in and of your own strength. It's not by your might nor by your power, but by the Spirit of God, says the Lord. Because we have Holy Spirit on the inside of us, this is a work He does, and we get to partner with Him in it. So that's exciting. It's not a to-do list. So I don't have any pressure to perform. I don't have to act more merciful than I really am. I don't have to act like more of a peacekeeper than I really am. I just have to show up to relationship with Jesus and he will transform me into a merciful human being. He will transform me into a peacekeeper. Amen? Amen. So tonight we are wrapping up with the last four Beatitudes. We, We did some groundwork in part one, looked at the first one. 
Last week, we looked at the next three, and today we're looking at five, six, seven, and eight. We've got a lot of ground to cover, so I'm going to be talking fast, because one of the things that I've noticed as I've been studying these Beatitudes, we could talk about one Beatitude for an hour. There's so much here. Leave it to Jesus to give us just, you know, eight verses. How many verses? Not very many verses. Six verses. And they're so dense. It's so power-packed. There's a lot going on in the Beatitudes. When you look at the Beatitudes, what I've noticed, they seem like every Beatitude is a kind of synopsis of the entire Old Testament. If you start doing a, a study just on mercy, you see this theme of mercy thread throughout the entire Old Testament. So Jesus, he's bringing together the entire Old Testament when he's going through these Beatitudes. So they're dense. These Beatitudes are rich and full. So there's a lot here. And that just, my little nerdy heart gets so excited because I could talk about just one of these for an hour. They're rich and deep. So that's an invitation for us to go and spend more time with these Beatitudes, to dig more out because there's more than we're able to cover in three sessions. So we're going to get started. I'm going to try to use my time wisely. And we're going to start with the fifth Beatitude. It's blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. Matthew 5, 7 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know, I was thinking about this beatitude with everyone. I've kind of approached them a little bit differently and how I've shared on them. And this one struck me in that as I began to just take an account of my own life and just what I see in the world, I feel like we're experiencing in the body of Christ a kind of mercy deficit. Has anybody uh, been on Facebook lately? And I'm a comment reader. I don't make comments a lot, but I read comments. It's entertaining. Am I right? Anybody? (laughs) But I'm continually shocked by how Christians talk to other Christians. I'm continually shocked, even in the church sometimes, how we will treat one another. And if you want to get real real, I'm sometimes real shocked about how I will treat my family members, how I'll talk to my kids, how I'll talk to my husband. I see a mercy deficit, a lack of showing mercy and forgiveness and being slow to anger and being long-suffering with the people that we profess to love and to actually be joined to in spirit. We are joined to one another in spirit. And so as I've been chewing on this mercy deficit that I see in the body of Christ, how do we begin to walk out more mercy? The Lord reminded me of just a time in my life where he's just kind of worked this out in a way. So I will share with y'all, this is, we're going to get real tonight. Is that okay? I'm going to share with y'all some real stuff. It's okay. It's all good. It's safe. This is a safe place. So um, when I was first married, my year one and year two, probably, you know, part of year two, it was a true, true struggle for me to be married. I had a very hard time. I went into marriage with the expectation that this is all about me. Anybody else have that? (laughs) This is all about me. I've got this man who's committed to love me, to serve me. I've got like this built-in like labor, free laborer is just here. He's here for me. Thank you, Jesus. It's all about me. And I was just deeply selfish little girl who's married to this man. And I think everything, it all revolves around me. Thank you, God. What a gift. Amen. (laughs) But as you walk in that kind of selfishness, 
you become miserable. And I was miserable because I was so deeply selfish. I thought, man, he, I've got these expectations. You need to be like this, and you need to do this for me, and all this. And he, he was failing miserable because my expectations were ridiculous. There wasn't love. It was, you serve me, and I'll give you a good one of these every now and then. And I remember one day I was sitting at my vanity and I was fixing my hair. And I noticed something. I noticed I was entertaining thoughts of the enemy. Thoughts like, you know, you'd be better off on your own. You could run faster. You could get more ministry done if you were alone. You know, this, this was a mistake. You know, I don't think this was the right person for you. And he probably doesn't think you were the right person for him. And I'm hearing all these thoughts. And I don't know, I know it was the Holy Spirit intervened in this moment because it was like I stepped back and I'm hearing these thoughts. And for the first time, I realized that's the enemy. The enemy is actively assaulting this marriage. And when I realized in that moment that that's the enemy coming against my marriage, I suddenly realized, oh, Tucker is not my enemy. He's my ally. And the voice of the enemy, that's my true enemy. And when I recognized that the enemy was actively trying to destroy, to steal, kill, and destroy my marriage, it shifted my perception and I began to pray differently because I realized that my husband wasn't my enemy, that the enemy was my enemy. So that was my first breakthrough. And so now I'm praying differently about my spouse. I'm praying differently about my husband. And one day I had a vision. So I'm praying for Tucker, I'm just lifting up in prayer. And it was as if the Lord just pulled back a veil. And for a moment, I saw my husband in the spirit. And in this moment, what I saw is he was in the throne room of God. And he was walking toward the throne of God in royal procession. And he was fully clad and just royal, just all of the, the robes, all the glitter, everything. It was immaculate, majestic, beautiful. All those words you think of when you see someone just fully clad in the royal regalia. And he is walking toward the throne of God. And I'm standing here observing. And in this vision, my husband looked over at me and then he looked back at Jesus. And when he looked at me, I can't put into words what I saw. It's just one of those. Anybody have some of those encounters? It was glorious. My husband looked at me, and I saw the glory of the Lord on his face. And one of the things that I saw that so captivated me was that I saw such a deep contentment in my husband's face, deeply content, deeply at peace, and then looking back at his king. And as I'm seeing this picture of him, a uh, uh, righteous, or uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, a fear, a holy fear, a reverential fear came over me of like, oh my gosh, who are you? Who is this guy? And the Holy Spirit said to me, every time you see your husband, this is who he is. This is who he really is after the Spirit. And who we are after the Spirit is who we really are. What we see with our natural eyes, this is not who we really are. Who Christ has made us after the Spirit, that is who you truly are. And in that vision, that is what I saw. I saw my husband after the Spirit. 
So then every time we got in an argument, and every time I just wanted to be like, oh, it needs to be this way, or you got to do it this way, or I wanted to nag him or anything, Holy Spirit would bring that vision back to my attention. Like, you remember who you're talking to kind of thing. And I began to treat my husband like that vision. And the more I began to treat my husband like that vision, the more I saw that, oh, that is who he truly is. And that is how he walks every day. And our relationship, the way that I related with him, completely changed. I believe our mercy deficit comes from a lack of being able to see one another after the Spirit. When you see who someone is after the Spirit, it's a more natural response to treat them with mercy and respect. Mercy when they mess up, because I know you're righteous and you're truly holy, I can extend to you mercy. I think of Jesus when he was on the cross and he he sees the people that put him up there and he says to the Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. See, when people don't know who they are, they don't know what they're doing. They, people who hurt us, people who make bad decisions, they don't know who they are. But when we know who we are, we behave differently. And when we know who we're talking to, who we're encountering in Walmart, who we're talking to at church, we treat them differently. And it's easier, it's a more natural response for us to show them mercy. Let me go to our scripture here. It says, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 17. It says, regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That is how we as believers must begin to in obedience to Holy Spirit, begin to respond to people. And this is a hard one. It sounds hard. It sounds hard to do this after the flesh because when somebody cuts me off in traffic, I'm not thinking, oh, Lord, bless them. Forgive them. They know not what they do. I'm not looking at them after this flesh. I want to punch them in the face. But that's not our response. The more we allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate this heart of God that we talked about last time, to cultivate in us this nature, the nature of mercy, the more we can look at on people and see them according to the Spirit and not after the flesh. And this is powerful. When we look at this beatitude, it's the only beatitude that repeats itself. It says, blessed are the merciful for they receive mercy. So when you're getting something back, this, this idea that I give mercy and I get mercy back, to me that, that communicates culture. When I'm getting something back, when I, that becomes the atmosphere, that becomes what I receive within culture. So there's something about being merciful that actually shapes our culture. Our culture could use some mercy, don't you think? We need to see mercy operating within our culture. It's the culture of heaven to walk in mercy. And we actually fulfill the call of God on our lives to be ministers of reconciliation because that's what mercy does. When you extend mercy to someone, you are reconciling them back to God. You're saying, I know who you are after the Spirit and I'm gonna extend you mercy. That actually reconciles or returns them, moves them toward the Father, that I see who you are and I'm gonna treat you the way Father would treat you, not 
the way my flesh would want to treat you in this moment. And that's powerful. And the more that we are willing to yield to Holy Spirit to do that, the more we release the atmosphere, the culture of heaven in the earth. Isn't that awesome? That's powerful. And we don't have to do this in and of ourselves. Remember, we, this is something Holy Spirit cultivates on the inside of us. I mean, there's days where that sounds hard. <laughs> I don't want to show mercy, Lord. But if we'll spend time with Holy Spirit, this is the work He's doing in you. You are merciful. You are. Say, I am merciful. I have the capacity to show mercy because I have the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's all we need. That's all we need. Okay, let's keep on trucking, y'all. Everybody good? Number six, it says, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. We are gonna be, um, I wanna spend a little bit of time with this one. We're gonna spend more time with these two up front and then less as we go. But this one I felt like was important too because I feel like it has to do with focus. So there's two things we're gonna look at when we talk about being pure in heart. It's a singleness of focus and uh, we're gonna talk about refinement. So when something's pure, it's refined. And there's another way to look at it is that it's single. It's got a single focus. So I want to start there with a single focus. So we see blessed are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Having a single focus is something Holy Spirit cultivates on the inside of us. I don't know about you, but there, I'm, I'm one of those people who I'm a multitasker. I'm all over the place. I like to juggle many things at once and I get bored easily. So I have to have a lot of tasks, a lot of things to do. And that personality bent can actually uh, be to my detriment because focus in the kingdom is important. And it's not always something that I can do easily after the flesh. My husband's very focused naturally. He does one task at a time. He gets it done. He's very thorough and he makes sure it's done well. And then he moves to the next task. That drives me nuts. <laughs> I'm like, like, no, Lord, I can't do that. I have to have five things happening at once, and, and they'll all end at a different point, and there's always something going on. I can't just do one thing at a time. That just sounds miserable to me. But I appreciate that about him because he does everything better than me. He's, because he's so thorough and so attentive to what he's doing, everything he does, he does very well. I'm like, that's whatever. This is not fair. I'm like, at least I'm getting more done. He's like, well, you're not getting it done very well. But um, okay, <laughs> we balance each other. But focus in the kingdom is important. And Holy Spirit, he helps to cultivate focus on the inside of us. So one of the um, scriptures I absolutely love, it's Psalm 27.4. This is like my life scripture. I love this verse. David wrote it. He said, one thing, everybody say one thing. I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That is a picture of what Holy Spirit's cultivating on the inside of us, the kind of focus. It's a focus on King Jesus. It's a focus on our Lord to dwell with him, to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple. It's what we hear when we, if we read the scripture, seek ye first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. This is a picture of the kingdom, to dwell with the Lord, to seek his beauty, to inquire in his temple, to ask him questions, to get to know him. What do you think? 
think about this? How would you handle this? What is, how do you want to move in this situation? I inquire of the Lord. This is, to me, paints a beautiful picture of what I want to partner with, with Holy Spirit. Lord, I want you to cultivate that kind of focus in me that there's only one thing I'm seeking, and it's Jesus. It's King Jesus. This, um, for me, this, uh, I relate this, I guess, to the way that I shop. Does, are there women in here that actually enjoy shopping? You actually enjoy it. Are there women in here who don't necessarily enjoy shopping? You're my people. <laughs> no, I like either way. But, okay, if you get me, okay, it's different. So if you get me in, like, junk picking, like, garage sales and, like, thrift stores, I could do that all day. I love to find junk. It's, like, one of my favorite pastimes. Like, get me around a bunch of old, dusty stuff, and I'm so excited. Anybody like that? Yeah, girl. <laughs> I like to go junk picking. But I don't like to close shop. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's miserable to me. I, um, I like clothes, but the actual act of going and finding clothing is, is just is rough because I'm, I'm real picky. I'm like, I don't like the way that fits. I don't, nothing ever works. I'm like, ugh. And then you just end up settling something for something that you don't even like. And so it's not a process I enjoy. So I have a strategy when I shop. So my strategy is I'm looking for one thing. Truly, when I go into a store, I will get in my mind a picture of what I want, like a burgundy sweater. Right now, I want a burgundy sweater. Literally, it's on my list. I want a burgundy sweater. So if I'm going after this burgundy sweater, I walk into a store and I begin to search. As soon as I walk through the doors, my eyes are searching for the color burgundy. Uh, um, Miss Beverly, wave your hand, the color she has on right there. (laughs) I would be looking and see how it stands out to me. I can find all the burgundy in this room because that's what I'm looking for. I've set my focus on burgundy. So as soon as I walk into a store, I only see the burgundy shirts and my brain rapidly eliminates everything that is not that color. That is what happens when we set our focus on the Father. Whatever you set your focus on, you are going to find If you are setting your focus on anxiety, on disappointment, on lack, you will find it every time. But if you set your focus on the Father, you will find Him every time. And this is good for us, especially in this season of all the things that are going on in the world. A good indicator for if we're walking in purity of heart is when you look at your finances, can you see the hand of God? When you look at your relationships, can you see the hand of God? When you look at our political atmosphere, can you see God's hand there? When you look at our education system, can you see God's hand there? See, the pure in heart, the single-focused people, they can see God moving. We need a prophetic people who know how to look into the chaos that's going on in this world and see the hand of God and begin to speak with their mouths declaring what God wants to do in these situations that look broken, that look beyond, beyond help. We have to, as a people, begin to be able to look at things that are a mess and see the hand of God. How do we get that kind of insight? How do we get that kind of vision? It's by sitting with the presence of the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about. The other meaning of to be pure in heart has to do with refinement, being refined in the presence of the Lord, in the refiner's fire. So like when we gathered in worship this evening, wasn't that awesome? Anybody like the worship in our church? Aren't we blessed? 
I, I, this, this church body in all the years that I've been here, the worship has always been so healthy and beautiful where we get to experience the presence of God. We're not a bunch of entertainers up here. We are experiencing God's presence. We're communing with Abba. And there's something about engaging with the presence of God that is like coming into the refiner's fire where he begins to do a purifying work in our hearts and our minds. And so a picture that I've shared this picture with y'all before, but I just think it's so cool, so I'm going to share it again. But I came across this article where the, a silversmith was asked the, about his process of refining silver. And I just thought this was so cool. They asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is pure, when it's purified? How do you know when you're done? And so he began to explain that he takes this raw silver and the silversmith has to hold this raw silver over the hottest part of the flame. And he can't just leave it there. He has to watch it the whole time. He has to gaze on it. He has to look on it and make sure it doesn't melt or it's destroyed. So he stays with this silver. And he explained, the way that I know when the silver is purified, when the silver is done, is that I can see my reflection in it. That is what happens when we sit in the presence of the Lord. He begins to remove the impurities in our heart. He removes the dross, the excess. He cuts those things away when we engage with him in worship, when, he, when we read his word, when we pray in the spirit, when we meditate on the word of God. He's purifying our hearts in such a way that he begins to see his reflection in us. That is this process of refinement. And as we engage in the process of refinement, by engaging with the presence of the Lord, we have that single focus cultivated on the inside of us. And that, I believe, is so instrumental in this day and time. In the age that we live, we have to be a people with prophetic vision. We have to be a people that can see what God sees. And that takes being with him in his presence so that he can refine our hearts and give us that single focus. Amen? Does that make sense? I'll make sure we covered everything there. Refiner's fire. We have to sit in the refiner's fire. I just want us to take a moment. I feel like we rush through so many moments at church. I know we're on timelines and stuff like that. But man, the reality is we're present with the Lord right now. He's moving in our hearts, speaking to us right now. That blows my mind that he's at work in this space. Uh, I mean, even when we were worshiping, you know, I, I was hearing uh, Pastor Stan praying in the spirit. And I just so, became so overwhelmed by the presence of God that we're not playing church. Holy Spirit is here. We're getting a taste of eternity every time we come together. But this is the real thing. We're not coming here uh, to check something off our list. We are engaging with the Spirit of God. We're the body of Christ. And what we taste of when we walk in this room is eternity. We get to taste of eternity, a people of God assembled, enjoying the presence of God. That's what our eternity is going to look like. And even as we're sitting here now talking, that refiner's fire is burning. He's burning right now, purifying our hearts, setting our focus, changing our minds. There's supernatural shifting and transformation happening in us right now. I think that's so awesome. We need a heightened consciousness, a heightened awareness of the work that Holy Spirit is doing because all the mess that we see in our everyday life, all that's going to pass away. This is eternal. 
This interaction that we have with Holy Spirit, it's with you when you're in Walmart, it's with you when you're driving down in your car, it's with you when you're making your budget, it's with you when you're dropping your kids off at the school line. Always this refiner's fire that we have access to at all times. I think that's awesome. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Little rabbit trail. But I want us to move on to our next one. Blessed are the peacemakers. I like this one. I think this one's so good. To me, when I read the Beatitudes, if you were to look at the Beatitudes like a song, this Beatitude is the climax. You know, in a song where everything just explodes and it's just beautiful, the the climax of the song. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. This is the climax of the Beatitudes. There's one to follow, but that one's more the close. This one's the climax, the sons of God. So I want us to... Oh, just a reference. Matthew 5, 9 is where we find this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want us to notice that it's peacemaker, not peacekeeper. There's a difference. It's an important difference that we are peacemakers. We're not peacekeepers. Because peacekeeper, there's this connotation that we, we keep everything tranquil and calm. And we don't want to step on anybody's toes and we don't want to offend anybody and we need everything to stay calm. Well, I feel like that ship has sailed in our culture. I don't think we can really keep peace, but we are called to make peace, to create peace where there is no peace. We are anointed by the power of God to bring peace into tumultuous situations, to bring the peace of God into chaotic situations. That is what we are anointed to do. Um, Something that I know that we all have the same working uh, definition of what peace means in the Hebrew. What's the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Shalom. And we define that this way. This is our, our working definition. It's absolutely accurate. Peace, um, shalom means tranquility, safety. There's this connotation that when we have the shalom of God, we experience his favor and protection and that there's nothing missing and there's nothing broken. That's the shalom peace of God. Well, I came across a study earlier this year and it blew my mind. I've shared this here before during a time of worship. So in this study, some Hebrew scholars were taking apart the word shalom. And if you look at it written out in Hebrew, it's made up of four letters. And in Hebrew, every one of their letters is a word picture. And this picture describes just different things. So their their language is so rich because you just take one letter and it has all of this meaning. And so the word shalom has four letters. And so there's all of this rich meaning. When you bring these four individual letters, you get this big overarching picture. Well, recently, some Hebrew scholars were taking apart those words and looking at them. And what they found is this definition at work. And I just thought it was beautiful. It's shalom, which means Peace comes, I want you to lean in, everybody lean in, listen to this one, I really love it. Peace comes when you destroy the enemy of chaos by infusing the presence of the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? I'm gonna read it again, Selah. Peace comes when you destroy the enemy of chaos by infusing the presence of the Lord. 
So as the sons and daughters of God, we carry the shalom of the Father, and we are actually able to enter into situations that are chaotic and actually bring the enemy chaos under our feet and infuse those situations with the peace of God. You know, I just recently, I was sitting down with a woman and you know, when she, when she approached me, I knew, oh man, that she's in a rough place right now. Um, it was, she's having a hard time. And you know, when you approach somebody, you can tell they're in a place where it feels like their world is falling apart. That was what I encountered. I could tell she's in a place. She feels like her world is falling apart. And so we sit down and we begin to talk and unpack her situation. And I begin to encourage her and I'm praying, y'all, anybody in these situations, you got to pray because I want to say the right thing to this lady. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So I'm praying in the spirit and I'm asking the Lord to tell me what to say to this woman to encourage her. And by the end of that conversation, she's a different, a completely different person. She's at peace. She's smiling again. I can see the joy of the Lord in her, and she feels like she's got, she knows what her next step is. Those are Holy Spirit situations where the Holy Spirit comes in and He begins to minister peace to that person. He puts the enemy of chaos because she was experiencing chaos, confusion, didn't know up from down or what to do in this situation, heartbroken. And He put that enemy chaos under our feet and He ministered His shalom, His peace. And that's what we get to do. And what I love about this beatitude, this particular beatitude is how we are identified by the world. Jesus lists a lot of different attributes when he goes through these beatitudes, but this is the one that says that they will be called the sons of God. When the world sees us operating in this anointing to be peacemakers, they will recognize, ah, those are the sons of God. When we walk into situations and we put the enemy chaos under our feet and we bring stability and we bring peace to tumultuous and chaotic moments, then people recognize that is a son, that is a daughter of the Most High God because they're ministering the peace of God. That's our authority at work. We are given authority for the purpose of ministering God's peace of restoring his atmosphere. It's one of peace. His atmosphere is one of tranquility in the middle of a storm. And that's what we get to minister when we step into people's lives. And that's beautiful. We put the enemy chaos under our feet by speaking words of life, speaking simple words of truth. I didn't do anything crazy. I didn't even get out my anointing oil. I just talked to this woman and encouraged her in the word of God. I told her the truth. I reminded her of a lot of things she already knew. And when I reminded her, simply reminded her of the truth, it restored her to a place of peace and she was able to put confusion under her feet. That's our ministry. That's the purpose of our authority. Isn't that awesome? So we're gonna take just a couple more minutes to wrap up this last beatitude. I don't wanna spend too much time here. Honestly, this one's a little, I mean, it's, it seems heavy. I'll just say it. it was a little heavy, but I want this to be an encouragement. I want us to go here as a, as a um, a point to encourage you. So in Matthew 5.10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This is true persecution, like true persecution, not like when somebody's mean to us. You know, we get all riled up. 
somebody, uh, you know, is mean to us or they you mistreat us or something. That's not persecution. This is real persecution that Jesus is talking about here, where your life, your life is on the line. We've got believers in other places experiencing true persecution, brothers and sisters, and they are able to meet it with peace. And that's supernatural. You know, I've had conversations, I don't know about you, but I've definitely had these conversations with Jesus of just being honest of, Lord, you know, I love you. I love you so much, Father. But I, I logically, in my mind, I don't know what I would do if I faced true persecution. I've had this conversation with him often. What, what would I do in that situation, Lord? I feel like Peter. You look at Peter. He denied Jesus three times before the rooster even crowed. I'm like, I'm a wuss, Lord. That would so be me. <laughs> like, you're awesome. I'll see you later. <laughs> but, so I've asked the Lord, what, what would I do if I was met with real persecution? And the Lord has encouraged me over and over that if you are met with real persecution, you will have the grace for it in that moment. See, when Peter denied the Lord three times, he was missing something, a key ingredient, and that was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. When Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, he became so bold, it it shook people. Like, wow, who is this man that is so bold? Where does this come from? It was supernatural. And that is the very same power that enabled him to face a crucifixion. That's how Peter passed. It wasn't the same Peter anymore that denied Jesus three times. It was the Peter that was full of the peace of God and the power of God. If we ever face persecution in this church, in this nation, we will have the grace to endure it with power and with peace. We don't have to worry about that now. The grace will be there for us. And and that's something you can meditate on and have peace in your heart. You don't have to be anxious about how you might face that. There will be grace for that if we ever comes to that. And that gives me so much peace. And thank you, Jesus. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We're infused with power and grace for every situation. In Jesus' name, and that's just awesome to me. Amen. Amen. Amen.